week we're going to look at why does John pose the question to his disciple to go and ask Jesus if he's the one. It also allows us to see that John wasn't totally clear. We're going to see a little bit of that today also. But John knew his position. And John had to run his race. And you have to run your race. But you need to know your position. Between Barry Sutton and Virgil Brown, you've heard me talk about them before. Two fastest guys in Akron. Everybody in Akron shows up. There wasn't a field big enough to hold all the people to see them two guys run. But the South High track coach switched something on one of the relays. And he told Virgil, you're not going to be the fourth runner. You're going to be the first. And Virgil always liked to be that last one because that's the one who's going to get all the fame coming across the finish line. That's the one who's going to really have to do the catch-up or passing. But Virgil was sharing with me that, boy, the coach changed us, but this is what he said to me. Build up the biggest lead that you can build. That's the only way we're going to win this race. If you build up a large enough lead that we're going to make Bukto have to try to catch up all the way in the race. And they won that race just by about an arm because Barry Sutton was making up some ground. But it was too much ground. Oh, you was there to see that one? <laughs> he was making up ground, just couldn't make up enough from what was lost in the very first part of the run. People, don't wait to the very end sometime to make your run. Give it your very best coming out. Don't compete against the person running next to you. You compete only against yourself. And that's what Virgil was doing in that run because he already knew he could outrun every runner that was running against him in that first leg of the race. But he had to run also against those other three that were going to be running. But mainly he had to run against himself. And he knew his own position. And he ran it. John knew his position. John knew his ministry. And John was running in his lane. Not in the lane of Jesus. Two different ministries here. And that's what puzzled John. Don't want to go too far in next week's message. Because he saw a different ministry in Jesus than what was his ministry. But John knew his positions when he began to be challenged by others. 
He knew that he was called to be a forerunner. He was not called to be Christ. He also knew this. And this is something every one of us need to hold to. That we only have and we only receive what God has given unto us. And what is at question and what is the main point of that is this. Whether it be little or be much, will you be found faithful? That's what God's looking for. His faithfulness. Will you be faithful at the task that he has assigned you? Will you do it with all your might and all your heart? Will you do it? For he knew that one has only what God gives him. John knew that. Goes with me to Psalm 75. Just lay a little groundwork here. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. This is one of my favorite verses that I somewhat used even in life for myself. Now, oftentimes I would say this to myself. That God is the one who exalts. My job was to teach myself how to humble myself unto him. And if I did that, he do the exalting. He would put you in places where you would never have thought you would have been. He put you there. But he says, no one from the east or the west or from desert can exalt a man. No one can put a man in a position. No one can make a man the chairman. No one can make the man the head of something. No one can make a man or lift him up. The one who really promotes and the one who really lifts up is God. It's God. And he says, but it is God who judges. He brings one down and he what? Exalts another. That's God's work. That's God's work. God takes one, places them up, while he's bringing another one down. You see that in the Moses and Joshua situation. You're able to see that at different points through the Bible where Elijah and Elijah, you're able to see it. You're able to see that with a Paul and even a Timothy. You're able to see it. Understand something. Every one of you sitting out here today and up here has a replacement by God. <laughs> because God is the one who take us down. Like Vic was saying, I had to throw it by myself. There's that old song, God has taken us away one by one. <laughs> and it's true, we will go by ourselves. And James just simply says, every good and perfect gift coming from who? From God. 
Let's not forget that. Everything we have comes from him. And he has the right to give it, but he also has the right to what? Take it away. And Job understood that. The Lord gaveth, the Lord what? Taketh. He has that right to do it. And John understood that. So when we get into John chapter 3, and and we're looking at verse 22, where some would say, oh, there's competition. John has said, there's no competition. He's doing what he's doing. I'm doing what I'm doing. So it says in verse 22 of John chapter 3, he says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them doing what? Baptizing. Jesus, why are you baptizing? John is doing that. You don't need to do that. John's doing it. John, you were first baptizing. Now this Jesus who you testified. Guess what? He's baptizing. Don't let that man take your thunder. Don't let that man take your spotlight. Don't let that man do this. But we need to understand in ministry there's not competition. We are sharpening one another. We make one another better. We groom one another. We help one another. And he says in the Judea countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptizing. Now John also was baptizing at Enon and Salon, because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming. Now, catch that. People were what? Not so much they were going out, but they positioned themselves. They're where God wants them to be. No man cometh unto the Lord unless God does what? The drawing. And I think that is still the main emphasis. Church planners and church planners put the issue on the going. That's not the real issue in Matthew 28. The issue is the teaching and the baptizing. Why? God's going to bring them. God's going to bring them. The one lesson you all see, and I, kind of, I used to have it hanging in my office, because it was an object lesson for me. After, the, after Peter and his crew had been out fishing all night and caught what? Nothing. But at the command of Jesus, they went back out and lowered their net. And Peter even said, just at your command, I'm going to do it. But we've been out here all night and caught nothing. We're going back into the same area. There's nothing there. But because Jesus said to go and lower your nets, they had more fish than what they could load in their boat and they had to call others. Why? 
he called the fish to where they were. God in his own way will fill every seat. Gimmicks should not fill the church. Music should not fill the church. Friendship should not fill the church. Good preaching should not fill the church. The Lord should fill his church. The Lord. And John understood that. That we're not going to be a bunch of people following him if God chose for them to follow with Jesus. He understood that. And it says, they're both doing it. Now ask yourself this question. Hey, John, why, why don't you scratch your head? Uh, he, he is a little bit younger than you are, and you're a little bit older. Why don't you just go join him, and you guys become a team? Well, you're already a team. But you both have an assignment from God that's just a little bit different. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit next week. That assignment that's a little bit different. And he goes on and he says, Jesus' ministry is basically a ministry in which you're going to see of healing. John's ministry was not of healing. John's ministry was of repentance. Repentance. John's ministry was to be a forerunner, not a healer, not a savior, not the Christ. John sees a different ministry with Jesus, and, and the question is posed, are you the one? Are you the one? And it takes us back to what Paul says in Philippians. For some do it for this reason, some do it for that reason, some do it out of sincerity of heart, but I back them all as long as what? The name of Jesus is going forth. Because there's no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved than that name of Jesus. May not agree with everybody's ministry and how they do ministry. The question is, do people get saved and do lives change? And trust the Holy Spirit to lay the right path because he's the true teacher. He's the true teacher. So in John 3.25 you basically hear an individual come along and try to cause some discord between those of Jesus' ministry and those of John's ministry. So it comes down in verse 25, he says, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and certain Jews over the matter of ceremonial washing, over baptism. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you in the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing. That one you baptized, that one that you gave testimony to, that one who the dove 
landed upon and that one who you said is the Lamb of God. He's trying to steal your work. He's trying to take over your ministry. He's trying to take your fame. No. John knew what John was called to do. And John stayed in his position. Listen how John replies. Because it's important sometimes. When people come up to you, and you have to discern this, when are they trying to cause discord? When are they trying to cause discontentment? When are they trying to cause you to doubt? You have to discern that about people. That's why there's a gift of discernment. That you can discern. And you can know the real good intent that people have for you. And you can discern whether God is speaking through them. You have to discern that. And John's reply, boy, it is unique. It is unique. Because John was going to keep his eyes on Jesus. Not on the ministry he was doing. Keeping his eyes on his ministry, what he was called to do. What God had assigned him to do. He's going to stay focused. And he says in verse 27, To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. I can only have the ministry that God has ordained for me. If it's with two people, do it with all your might. If it's with 200 people, do it with all your might. A young lady who faith discipled, she started off just as a worker with the water department. But as she started honoring God and she started learning about the Lord and as she just started growing in the Lord. Today she's a supervisor over a department. And faith just kept encouraging her to hang in there. Money was tight. Things were hard. Just hang in there. Single mother Tough situation sometimes. Hang in there. But as she grew in the Lord, and as faith just discipled her, we begin to see her somewhat take her own wings and fly. Okay, and soar. And that's what John's job was. To help people take their wings and fly. Fly where? into the direction of Jesus. We are all influencers. It don't stop here with us. We help people take their flight into the very heart of Jesus. 
that he may exalt them to where he desires them to be. And John says, I can only have the ministry that God has ordained for me. Period. He kept his eyes strictly on what God called him to do. The argument is over ceremonial washing or baptism. Not so much his argument over that. The real argument is over how many people he's baptizing. The real argument is over everyone's going over to Jesus. That's the real argument. Where he says, the one you testify about, well, he is baptizing. And everyone's going to him. That's the real argument. Not over ceremonial washing, not over being baptized. It's over the ministry that Jesus is performing and the ministry that you have as an individual. And John simply says, a man can have, can receive only what is given him from heaven. That's all he can have. Nothing else. Only what God gives. Now, you know that I said I am not the Christ, John tells them. He had said that on different occasions, that I am not the Christ. I am not that one that you may want me to be or desire me to be. And nowhere did John ever try to step into the role of Jesus Christ. And it would have been very easy for John to do it. But John himself would have known that was not his position or his role. John would have known it. And in the whole process, he says, the next day, yep, let me get back to three for a moment. He says, I said, I am not the Christ, in verse 28. You yourself can testify to that. I've told you over and over, I am not the Christ. Go to John 1 and 19 through 23 with me. 19 through 23. Listen to what John says. Now, this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed Freely, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Well, you're doing this work and you're doing that and people are coming out and all Jerusalem's coming out to you. All Judea's coming out to you. I am not the Christ. Sometimes it's hard for us to deny who we are not. We may sometimes want to live in a fantasy world. But we always have to take a very good look at ourselves and come back to the reality of who and what we are. And he says, I am not the Christ. Then they asked him this question. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? No. Hey, I can get a little fame if I say I'm Elijah. I'm the one that 
that was prophesied that would come back. Yeah, I'm him. No, I'm not Elijah. Are you a great prophet? Now understand this. Boy, this is something great right here. And John says, no, I'm not a prophet. But what did Jesus call me? A great prophet. John would not elevate himself, but Jesus did it. There's that promotion from God. Where John would not elevate himself even to being a good prophet. Jesus says that John is a great prophet. John knew his position. He understood it. To see it a little bit more, but to also have a little better understanding of John's position, go with me to John chapter 1, 6 through 9. Listen to what it says. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might what? Might believe. Now, he's only sent to be a witness of that light that is going to come. But here's John's dilemma. He really didn't know that light. And that's why John's asking the question after seeing the ministry of what's taking place with Jesus. Are you the one? He wanted to be sure where at in himself. That this is really the one. And he really asked the question, are you the one? And sometimes for you, you need to really ask yourself the question, Jesus, are you really the Jesus? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Savior? Are you really the Redeemer? God never backs down from a challenge. <laughs> and he's always open to your questions. And he goes on and he says there, he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He himself was not the light. John knew that. And John in no way would try to rob any glory of the Lord Jesus Christ or any way of trying to be the example of that one as the light. John knew his position. John knew for which he was called for. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light. That gives light to every man. Now, catch this last little part. Was coming into the world. Yet coming into the world. We need to understand that process. Paul went through that too. Go to Philippians 3, 17. Philippians 3. Because Paul was one that many people put their eyes upon and the greatness of Paul. 
But Paul never tried to put himself in a different position other than just Paul. That's why he even tells his life story as Saul. He tells about his past and what he once was. Why? He wants people to understand that. He says, in that verse 17, says, join with others in following my example. He's encouraging people to do what? Follow his example. Follow his lifestyle. Follow me. Why? I follow Christ. Can you encourage somebody to follow you? Can you encourage somebody to look at your life and really examine your life? And give good advice? Because what God has given to you, what God has shown you, but then the person should be able to see that developed where at in your life. In your life. And therefore, people what? Follow. Understand something. It is a huge, huge responsibility when people choose to follow that you don't mislead them, nor do you take advantage of them, but that you point them towards the one whom you're following. You never allow the eyes to just stop on you, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, yes, follow me. As I set the example, follow me. Join with others who follow my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern he gave us. Now, he gives us a little warning there also. He says, take note of the pattern. Look at their lives. See their life. Just don't follow blindly. You follow because you're looking at their life. You're examining their life. And you're seeing something in them. That you want to develop in your own life. John shows us that he knows his position by telling this story. In your speaking with people, learn to tell stories. You'll see that all the way through the Bible. Telling stories. Tozier was a great storyteller. <laughs> Simpson was an excellent storyteller about healing and different things. Spurgeon was a great storyteller. Incorporate in your testimony stories. Because people listen to stories. And in the story... You help to define your own character. In the story, you help to define who you are. In the story, people can see a past and a present. You want to learn to be able to do that in your testimony. Incorporate. Because in life, 
you have the story in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And John is going to tell this story. And it's strange how it just pops up here. He tells this story about marriage. Now, I don't know if John married anybody. He could have. But in order for those who are asking this question about John and his position and allowing Jesus to do what he's doing without counteracting that somehow, John gives them this story about the bride and the bridegroom. And in a sense, the best man or one of the groomsmen. So in, he begins and he says, let me get there. You yourself can testify that I said in verse 28 in John 3, I am not Christ, but sin ahead of him. Then in verse 29, listen to him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The bride belongs to who? You know one of the things I do before marriage, when I meet with the marriage party, I let everybody know this is not your day. This is whose day? The bride's and the bridegroom. All we are are just supporting cast. But the people who we want to show off is the bride and the bridegroom. And even with the bridesmaid and the best man, I will usually share with them, yes, you guys are two special people. That's why there's only one best man (laughs) and one Groom me. You're going to help her when she come up on stage. You're going to help make sure everything's where it needs to be. You're going to make sure you have the rain, and, and you're going to make sure the rest of the guys, because where you plant yourself first, everybody else is going to line up to you. You're important, but you're not the important one. And that's what John is saying. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. I'm not going to try to steal what? The bride. That's his bride. I'm not going to try in any way approach upon that which belongs to him. And he goes on, he says, The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and in full of joy What is it? He's joyful that he's been chosen to be in what? In that position. And he's not going to betray his friend. He's loyal to his position. And he's not going to try to talk to the bride on the side. But he has joy for his friend. We should have joy for what we do. 
and that the Lord's invited us to do it. And he goes on, and he says, When he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine. That joy is mine. When, when you hear the bridegroom giving his vows to his bride, the best man, that should be your joy right there. Why? Hopefully you will be the one who remind him of his vows when things get tough. Hopefully you'll really be that friend that's right there. Not trying to be the husband, but being the friend. Being the one who is loyal to him, who is faithful to him. And he says, boy, the joy that I have there in hearing him. And he says, and it is now complete. When that marriage takes place, it is now complete. When Jesus takes his bride, it will be complete. And the joy. And here comes that little line after that. I want you to hook it with the marriage. Yes, I'm doing a lot of things for the bridegroom. And the bride might see me doing all this running and helping and all this other stuff that I'm doing. But I need to help her keep her mind straight. I'm doing it for who? For my friend. I'm loyal to him. I'm doing it for both of you, but the only reason you're in the picture is because he's chosen you to be his bride. And what he wants to happen is this, in the eyesight of the bride, that the husband becomes greater while he becomes what? Lesser. That the husband becomes greater and he becomes lesser. And then from that verse 31 through 36, you begin to hear John speak. A little bit more we catch now that he's not quite clear on this yet of who this Christ might be or who Jesus, if he is the Christ. It helps us to see John a little bit more now as John shares this. He says in 31, the one who comes from above is above all. I know there's one that's coming from above. And guess what? He's above all. Now he's sharing that with those who have come to ask him this question. I'm just a forerunner of the one who is yet coming from above. Well, Jesus is already what? There. But not quite clear yet on all that Jesus is. He goes on. The one who is from the earth belongs what? Who is he speaking of? Himself. This earth. And speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. Now catch the difference here. Because John makes it so clear here. Oftentimes we miss it. 
Many of us cannot speak of heaven because we have not been where? To heaven. But we can speak of what? Earth. Listen to what John says here because it gives him, boy, clarity in one area, but yet not still knowing. He says, the one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony. What is he testifying of? What he has seen and what he's heard. Jesus speaks that which he has heard of who? Of the Father. He can tell us things about heaven. He can tell us things, but yet to that which is earthly, there's no understanding of it yet. There's no understanding of it yet. John says, I understand my earthly assignment. My earthly assignment is to be a witness of the forecomer, but I really don't know who this forecomer is. And then as we get into the next week, we're going to see that John kind of looks at that, and the question comes to John, are you the one or do we look for another? Very close. But what John, only thing John has to look at is his ministry and Jesus' ministry. And then to compare those two ministries. And at first he may have thought Jesus' ministry was off because Jesus is not doing the same thing in which John himself was doing. Understand Scripture. Understand God in this. God is always advancing his people. He's educating his people. But he never gives them more than what they can really understand. <coughs> Excuse me. He never does that. When you see him bringing the people out of Egypt, he educates them because they were not really educated in Egypt. That's why he teaches them how to work with different tools and different type of materials because all they did basically in Egypt make bricks out of straw. Main job. He had to teach them how to be warriors. He had to teach them. He had to teach them what authority was and the responsibility of authority. And sometimes, like Roger would ask me, why would God punish thousands of people over a decision that David made? Because David needed to understand that when he made a decision, it was not just about David. It affected hundreds of people, thousands of people. And God wanted David to give that lesson. If not, he would just remove David. And it becomes just a little bit clearer there, that boy, that here's John, the forerunner, and he stays in his place. And he goes on, he says, He testified to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God for God. Gives 
the spirit without limit. Gives the spirit without limit. And the spirit is not given until after what? Jesus is taken up. Now the exception, yes. Was John full with the spirit? Yes. Was the spirit then at that point limited in John in a sense or, or doing a certain work? Yes. Because John never healed. John never made really great pathetic statements or speaking. John was right on with his repentance, his confessions, his baptism. John was right on in being the forerunner, letting the people know there's one that's coming who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. He's coming. That was his job. That's what he was placed in position to do. And he did it. And it goes on in that verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. Now, I want you to take that whole little section right there. That I want to ask you, want you to ask this question. If John really knew, why didn't he use the name Jesus? He never uses Jesus' name in that little section, that paragraph. It'd been so easy to just say Jesus is the one sent from heaven. Jesus is the one who speaks the words of what he's seen and heard in heaven. But he never uses the name Jesus. See it? So John, yes, knowing he's a forerunner, he's not the light. Knowing he is a witness, he is not the Christ. Knowing that he is to call people to repentance, but he can't heal their broken hearts. He can't heal them. And see, Jesus said when he come, he didn't come for those who needed not a physician. He came for those who what? Who had need of a physician who could heal who could heal relationships, who could heal the body, who could heal the heart, who could heal the emotions. John couldn't do any of that. And he sees a different ministry. And he says, are you the one? Because ministry is not like somebody else's ministry. Does not mean God is not using them. God has men doing different ministries in different styles, in different ways. The question is, what's the effect of that ministry on that life? What's the effect of the ministry on the life 
of people, community, society. What's the effect on that total community or person? See, whether you want to know it or not, John stayed in his lane. He didn't get upset by the challenge. Oh, Jesus is doing that. Jesus is doing this over here. Jesus does it this way. That didn't bother John. John stayed doing exactly what John did until God, what? Removed John. Now, let me close with this statement. You and I, we may not want to accept this, but you and I are the forerunners of the second coming of Christ. You and I are saying to people, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And we may look crazy like John. But we're the forerunners of the one who's going to come and judge this time. And our job is to tell people that they can miss that judgment by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. They can miss that condemnation if they'll hide themselves away in Jesus Christ. That they can truly receive the full forgiveness and mercy and here comes the third part, the healing of their lives if they allow Jesus to work in their lives. See, we're the forerunners of his second coming. John was the forerunner of his first coming. But we're the forerunners of his second. Amen? Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the gift that you've given unto us to be the people that we are, to formulate in each and every one of our lives a story of what Jesus has done in our life. And to bear witness of that transformation of where you took us from to where we are. And Lord, in our culture and society, we live secret lives. Help us to understand what Paul says. that we are his written epistles. People read our lives. People shouldn't have to break through our windows and break through our doors to, to see our life. We should open our lives up that people can see it. The good, the bad, the ugly, all that it is knowing that, Lord, this is the journey that you gave us. But to understand that, Lord, you were there working in our lives way before we ever knew that you were doing it. And then the amazing thing, 
of what took place in our lives. When we realize you're calling us to yourself. When we, Lord, awakened to that gift that you wanted to give us in the person of Jesus Christ, eternal life. Lord, help us to formulate our story and our testimony of how wonderful you have been to us and the wonderful change that has taken place in our life because of you. And help us, Lord, to be like John, to keep our eyes fixed on the task that you have given us to do, not looking to the left or to the right, but challenging ourselves personally to come out of our comfort zone, challenging ourselves to do something that we've never done before, challenging ourselves, O oh God, to step out in faith, believing you. Thank you, Lord, that in coming in today, I can see all the stuff spread it. At one point, Lord, I was a little doubtful. But thank you, Lord, for being the faithful God that you are. Thank you for doing it. I don't understand because sometimes the question comes to me, why do I do so much with brick and mortar, wood and this and that? But I believe, Lord, I'm following what you have laid out and you open the doors for those things to happen and you make them happen and it just confirms this was your will. And I can't see far enough down the road sometime to truly understand it. But I pray at some point in the history of this church, all of that will be a blessing. A blessing to the ministry of Jesus Christ that will take place here at this place yet. Help us to stay focused on what you have us to do. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, as we prepare to give, you know all of our needs. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless, that you would just open the door and pour out a blessing that we might meet all the obligations of this month. And that, Lord, that you would even give us a little bit ahead for the taxes and stuff that are coming. That, Lord, that you have kept us this far. And as we sung this morning, you haven't brought us this far to leave us. Let us not fix our eyes on what we see, but let us fix our eyes on what we believe that is yet going to take place. And therefore, Lord, we give and we thank you in Jesus' name.